Last week, we went through the first chapter of Genesis. And as you recall, Adam and Eve, paradise, Eden. Now, that was chapter 1. Today, we're going to go through chapter 3, but I'm going to take you through chapter 2 pretty quickly just to uh, tell you the salient points that kind of set up the story for chapter 3. In verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Um, Some people seem to have a problem with God putting a forbidden tree in the garden. And uh, I I actually heard one of my friends say, you know, if Adam and Eve didn't eat it, someone eventually was going to come along and eat it, you know? And so, um, but I don't think that's necessarily true. I think God was putting this tree in the garden to teach his people that there's joy and there's value in obedience. I don't think the presence of a forbidden tree is, is unfair. I want you to think about this, okay? The Lord here in chapter 2 just gives one negative command. Just think about this. There are like a thousand positive invitations. Hundreds of trees that you can eat from. You know, subdue the earth so this, this invitation towards work that's creative and productive and be fruitful and multiply, that's an invitation towards more joy. There's a lot of joyful invitations in this chapter. But one, just one negative don't do. Just one negative don't do. And that's the very thing that they do. Now, um, I, I also want to point out the, the last verse in chapter 2. It says this, The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Hey, what does that mean to be naked and not ashamed? I I think it means that Adam and Eve were in a state of being where they had nothing to hide. They had nothing to hide. I want you to imagine being so innocent and so pure that you have absolutely nothing to hide. No thought that's impure, nothing to be embarrassed about, no dark spot in your former life, nothing that you've said that you're not proud of, you know, nothing to hide. Incidentally, uh, when I went to Cal, there was a famous man by the name of Andrew Martinez. And uh, he was a student and he would go to classes completely naked. And so he became the unofficial mascot of UC Berkeley, and he was called the Naked Man. Yeah, it's a very creative name. And uh, the thing is, he actually had a lot of things to hide, but for some reason he wasn't hiding them. And everyone here in this room, we have a lot to hide. And so we put clothes on to hide them. But Adam and Eve, they had nothing to hide. Imagine being in that state, you have nothing to hide. There I am. Now, now we go to chapter 3. Okay, we start in verse 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent here is the character of Satan. Satan was a former angel. He wanted to overthrow God. He wanted to take the place of God. And so he convinced one-third of the angels to follow him in a massive rebellion. Now, I want you to keep in mind that he's depicted as a serpent, a creature. He is not the equal counterpart of God. He is a created thing, and God is sovereign, uncreated. 
So he has definitely the limited powers of a creature. And he's certainly the antagonist in this story. Now, we're not really sure how communication happened back then. Was it normal for Adam and Eve to talk to the animals? I don't, I'm not really sure. They don't really, the, the scripture doesn't really explain it. And, and how did Satan, like, how is he a snake? Did he possess a snake? Did he uh, masquerade as a snake? Was he the embodiment of, of Satan? I, I don't know. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that the way that Satan works in this passage is still the way that he works today. And so in verse 3, he says to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So what was Satan doing? And, and how do you think he said that? What we see Satan doing here is he's working in, in subtlety. He plays with your mind. He's sowing a seed of doubt. And here he's sowing a seed of doubt about the very character of God. You know, I imagine him saying it like, did God really say that? Can you believe that? Can you believe how strict this guy is? Implicitly, there's a seed that's being planted. You know, he's, he's holding out on you. He's holding you back. Uh, to quote the character Cobb from the movie Inception, an idea is like a virus, resilient, highly contagious, and even the smallest seed of an idea can grow. It can grow to define or destroy you. Here is where Satan starts the smallest seed of an idea, and he's questioning the very character of God. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, Now she does really good in the first part of her response. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She's correcting the snake. She's correcting the serpent. She's right on. But not so good with the second part. But God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Where did that come from? Who told her that? So she's exaggerating here, but you see, she's kind of giving in to Satan a little bit. He's this mean guy. He's, he's holding you back. Yeah. Yeah, he said, you can't even touch it or else you'll die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Ah, there it is. You guys saw that first little subtlety. Now it's full and frontal. There he goes. Little seed is now a big weed. It's a big lie. You you won't die. That's not true. The first denial of truth is a denial that there is judgment. I want you guys to hear this. In our day and age, there's a lot of people that believe in some kind of heaven. A lot of people, especially in the Bay Area, don't believe in hell. The first truth to be denied is that there is judgment. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What I'd like you guys to do right now is, uh, can you turn to your neighbor And can you tell them why you think the fruit was a bad idea? Now, I just want to point out, it's not a big point. People say it was the forbidden apple. Do you see the word apple in the text? No. I like to think of it as a pear. Why? Because I don't like pears. 
But it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's a fruit. We don't know what it's a fruit is. But why was it bad is the question. Can you guys just turn to a neighbor and share your best idea on why it was a bad thing? And I'll give you like maybe one minute to do that. Go ahead. Try Uh, I, I'd like to explain why it was such a bad thing. I think there's multiple levels, okay? Uh, the, the first basic reason why it was a bad thing, this one's really easy, okay? It's because God said so. Uh, how many of you guys said because God said so? <laughs> That's a good one. It's kind of hard to argue with that. Uh, have you, for you parents with your kids and they're like maybe like three years old, younger, have you ever dropped the because I said so? Uh, I would have you know that uh, there was one time when Noelle, uh, she was two years old at the time, we, we have these electrical outlets. They're normally uncovered. But for some reason, this one was uncovered. Someone forgot to cover that little protective uh, strip that goes in. And I'm not kidding you, this, this happened. She was sitting there in the hallway, and there was a little tiny screwdriver. And she picked up the little tiny screwdriver, and she's like, hmm, where am I going to do with this? I think I know what I'll do with this. I'm going to put it in the light socket. So she's about to do it, and she's fiddling with it. She's, going, she's about to go in, and then Raina comes along and says, Noah, what are you doing? I'm in a, I'm in a, really? Are you, you know, you give me that, right? And then she's like two years old, and so we're like, Noel, do not ever do anything like that again. Don't even touch it, right? This one's like, don't touch it lest you die, right? Don't even touch it. And she's two years old, you know, like, Why? Because there's all these little tiny thunderbolts. No, that doesn't really register. You just say, because I said so. And that should be enough, right? So on one level, it's like, well, why? Because God said so. And that should be enough. But now, uh, I think there's the, the adult in us that wants to go, well, yeah, yeah, but tell me why. Tell me why it's bad. Tell me why it's bad. I want to know why it's bad. <clears throat> now, um... Could it be that uh, it was not time for God to give this kind of knowledge to people? I think that's a, maybe one possibility. Or maybe God never intended for people to have this kind of knowledge at all. But I think it's actually more than that. I think it's more than that. To eat the fruit was not just disobedience. But it was a wholesale, complete rejection of God. Now, I want you to think of it like this. Eating the fruit of good and knowledge. When you eat the fruit of good and knowledge, basically you are saying, I will determine what is right and wrong for myself. I will make that decision. I no longer want a God to be telling me what to do, what's right and wrong for me. I will determine that for myself. I'll be my own God, if you will. 
I will, I will determine what's good and right for myself. I, I, I don't need God to do that for me. I'm de-godding God. And it's completely, utterly offensive. It's saying, I'm going to be my own God. And that is exactly what Satan did. Now, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, before they had no shame, now they have shame. Before they had nothing to hide, now they have everything to hide. The thinking here is that I have very private, unsightly parts of my body, and I don't want people to see them. So I cover myself, I hide. And by hiding behind these fig leaves, I'm putting forth an image of myself that's actually better than what's really there. That's the idea. I'm hiding. We're hiding. One time I was talking to my uh, friend, a good friend of mine, and my good friend doesn't have a Facebook account. And I'm trying to convince my friend, maybe you should consider getting an account. It's a good way of getting in touch with people and, and just, uh, you know, uh, being able to find out what's going on in their lives and, and share your life with them. But my friend was insistent. She said, no. And I said, why? Well, she said, honestly, to be honest with you, Facebook, sometimes it makes me envious. What? Uh, she says, I look at the stories and I see the pictures and I see the posts and I find myself feeling kind of bad about my own life. I mean, I'm looking at the other families and they're hanging out with these other families going on this perfect vacation and I wind up feeling like I don't have what they have. I, I want what they have and I get envious and it doesn't make me feel good. Now, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this. Can it be true that the people on Facebook live better lives than everyone else. Can that, can that be true? That the solution to the perfect world is as simple as this. You know, everyone, get a Facebook account. You don't need Jesus to get Facebook. Can, can, that, can that be, you know, like, like sin has, has touched everything except the people on Facebook. Can that be like what's going on? You know, probably not. I wonder if something from Genesis 3 is kind of going on here. You know, I wonder if people, maybe they're not doing this really, like, deliberately, but they're choosing pictures that portray a happier, shinier image than what's really going on. And there's the, the underbelly of brokenness, and I'm not going to, you know, choose those pictures or choose those posts, you know. You know, there's, there's, the, there's the marriages where the, the, the issues are still lingering. And there's the, the children, and they hadn't turned out like we hoped. And there's relationships that have long been dysfunctional. But what we do is we, we, we have a tendency to hide. You think that's true? That we kind of see that a little bit on Facebook. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I, I, I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, The, the Lord whom you, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Well, you guys ever wonder why sometimes it's, it just seems so hard to have a really enjoyable, quiet time? 
You know, sometimes you feel like if I spend time with the life giver, I should feel like I'm, I'm getting a lot of life. But it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come naturally. Why? I think this is a large part of the reason why. The Lord God walks in the garden in the cool of the day. He wants to spend time with the people that he made. And what are the people doing? They're hiding. Fundamentally, that relationship where we, we stand with God and we see him face to face, it's broken. That relationship is broken. And then there's the second thing he does when he's being questioned by God. He blames the woman. Anyone here ever, like, blame the man or blame the woman? Now, keep in mind that he was standing next to Eve when she was being tempted. He said nothing. He was passive. He just goes along with it. Now he's blaming the woman for it. And then God speaks to the woman. What does the woman do? She blames the serpent. One of the worst things that sin does to us, it tries to keep us blind to our own part in it. We deflect blame. We're so good at deflecting blame. I, I've been a, a pastor for over 10 years. I've, I've tried uh, to, sometimes when other parties are not getting along, I've tried to reconcile people. Um, I, I, I haven't been the, the best at it, and I, I'm learning why that is and how I can improve. But one pattern that I've seen again and again is that people always seem to see so clearly the fault in the other person. And it's, it's rare that I, see, that I see someone who sees with clarity the fault that's in themselves. It's, it's always like, ah, she did it or he did it. We're always doing that. Adam and Eve did that. And we're doing it too. It takes real God-given courage to own your own sin. Once there was a newspaper, I love this story, that sent an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what's wrong with the world? Maybe you've heard this story before. G.K. Chesterton sent a letter in response which read, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. I love that story because it takes real courage to own sin. Two months ago, I took a sabbatical in China. And then in the middle of sabbatical, Raina and I had this golden opportunity to be child-free in the amazing city of Shanghai. Grandparents were watching the kids. So there's no kids, no work, no in-laws, as much uh, as you can eat. I was calling this trip the second honeymoon. It had a the, the second honeymoon, right? And before this, we were spending several days apart, so it was just going to be magic time. I was really, really looking forward to it. So I'm on, like, you know, the, the Chinese version of Yelp, and I'm looking for a good place to eat. And, and so I, I, we, find, we finally found this really good place to eat, and uh, I'm sitting down with Raina, and we're catching up. I'm sharing stories of all these things that I've learned on my trip and these things that I've heard. And then, you know what I said in this moment? I said... Did you know uh, this person, this person that we both know, uh, whom Raina dearly loves, worked on this project? Did you know this person worked on the project and the project failed? I, I, I said it like that. You ever say something and the moment you say it, you look at the other person's face and you're like, oh, and you're like, oh, I wish I could take that. But you can't take it back because it's right out there. You ever have a moment like that? 
I'm not kidding you, that one comment ruined the whole second honeymoon. It ruined the whole honeymoon. So, so Raina is offended, and I can kind of see that she's offended. She, she loves this person dearly. This person actually has loved me very dearly. And she says to me, why did you say that? And I, and I said to her, well, I thought, I, th- I thought it was interesting. And she said, yeah, but why did you say it so happy like that? And you know, <laughs> I was like, they were not my words. There was another person that told me, and I just, I just repeated those words. It wasn't my words, you know? It was the person who said it, and I was just the conduit. I just, I, I, I think I went there for a little bit, but she's like, why'd you say it so happy? Did the person say it to you so happy? No. I'm evil, you know? <laughs> why did I say it like that? I was really asking my, okay, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Why did I say it like that? I said it like that because there was a part of me that took pleasure in the failure of other people. I, it's a competitive side of me. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a part, it's, it's the evil template that Jesus is redeeming, but it's always still there. And sometimes it just goes, hey, I'm still there, you know. It, and it, I, was, it was, I didn't manage it very well. Now listen, I was thinking about not telling you guys this story. Do you know why? Because in telling you this story, you guys might... It might just make me look bad. Maybe. But the truth is, what's wrong with the world? I am. Why was that second honeymoon ruined? Me. There's no point in hiding. My encouragement to us is this. Let's not be like Adam and Eve. Let's not blame the other person. Let's be like Jesus who took responsibility. Let's be people who own our own sin. Now, the next five verses of Scripture, God gives judgment to every party that's involved. And the question I want you to think about when we go through these, these uh, like quite a few verses, how deep and how wide is, does the judgment go? How deep and how wide does the curse go? Okay, pay attention. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The question, how deep and how wide does the curse go? And the answer is really, really deep and really, really wide. There is nothing untouched by the curse. In essence, sin is broken relationships. 
what you see in these verses is that every relationship that we have is broken. When God pronounces judgment over Eve, he was pronouncing judgment over all human relationships. Not just for the woman, but for all relationships. And not just pain in childbearing, but child-rearing. Has anyone here ever felt disrespected by your kids? Has anyone here ever disrespected your own parents? Done to you, done by you. Your desire shall be for your husband. What does that mean? You can read that in many different ways, but in the next story, there's a hint of what this means. Cain is about to kill his brother, and God warns him. He says, look, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It wants to control you. It wants to have its way with you. So in other words, instead of mutual self-sacrifice in a loving covenantal relationship, you are going to want to control him, and he is going to rule over you with this kind of brutal force. Anyone here in the news, uh, Ray Rice, he, he knocked out his fiance in the elevator, and there's a video of that. And not just between wa- husband and wife, but between races. We, we know about what happened in Ferguson. A white cop shoots unarmed black teen. This has happened before. Between countries, we are conducting airstrikes as we speak. Jews in Palestine. Here we see the relationship between people just breaking down, not just between man and woman, but between all people with each other. And then in verse 17, we see the relationship that we have to cosmic creation. That is getting messed up. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you. Hurricanes, earthquakes in Napa 6.0, famines. Like it says in Romans, the creation was subjected to futility and groans in labor pains. And then finally, finally, our bodies. The relationship that we have with our bodies is broken down. Verse 19. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now our own relationship with ourselves, our bodies, is broken. You have the eternal soul. And it no longer has that consistency with the eternal body. That relationship is broken down. You came from dirt, and you're going to return to dirt. Relationship with God, broken. All relations, broken. Around that, broken. Relationships with other people. Creation with the rest of the the, the creation, broken. Relationship with our bodies, broken. What's wrong with the world? Everything. But especially me. Now, some hope. Verse 20. The man called his wife named Eve because she was the mother of all living And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now in verse 22, Adam and Eve, they get kicked out of the garden. But I can say this, there is so much hope. Verse 20 is pregnant with hope. Because I know how the rest of the Bible goes. And so I can read verse 20 with a fair amount of symbolism. The Lord God made for Adam and for Eve garments of skin, and he clothed them. Now, I want you to keep in mind that they had these fig leaves kind of sewn together, and they were wearing those. But those are not very suitable. And so God, you imagine God saying, you know, come on, put those away. That's not going to work. I'll make you a clothing that can adequately cover and hide you. God covers them. Now, how, do we, how does he do this later on? Jesus, his son, is sacrificed. And from his sacrifice, we have this covering. Here, animals are sacrificed. 
And from these sacrificed animals, the skin provided covering for Adam and Eve. It's out of that sacrifice that we are covered. And so I think something here is being foreshadowed. There is hope that's around the corner. There is an amazing hope that is arising. And we get a foreshadowing of it here in verse 20. God's own son was about to be sacrificed. Uh, I'd like to uh, have a little bit of a volunteer get someone that is a little bit brave and sort of on the shameless side to come up here. Jordan, thank you. Can you come up here? Thank you, Jordan. Jordan actually is about to go back to uh, UC Davis. And so this is his last Sunday with us for a while. So can we give a hand to Jordan as he comes up here? Now, what I like to do, Jordan, is I like to symbolically play this out. So can you like... So you're going to have to get uh, naked for this. Is that a problem for you? Okay, it should, be a prob- it should be a problem for you, man. The right answer is yes. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to try to reenact this. Now, uh, Jordan is actually going to be Adam and Eve kind of rolled up into one, okay? Now, what happened is he ate the fruit and his eyes were open, eyes open, right? And he saw, whoa, I'm naked. This is not a good thing. I'm kind of embarrassed about some of these things. I have something to hide. So he's like, I got all these shameful things. I got to hide them. So what does he do? He takes some fig leaves and he sews it together. Now, what I have here are some uh, fig leaves. Actually, these are bigger than a, a regular fig leaf. So this is a grace provided to you. It's bigger, okay? So what I've done last night is I sewed together a loincloth for you. This is a loincloth that's made out of fig leaves, okay? Here are the two ends. Now, if you can believe this, this loincloth is only made out of dental floss and leaves. I made it myself. It's good. good. Thank you. Some are clapping. Um, This is for you. I want you to wear it like Adam would have... No. (laughs) Don't do that. There's something much more shameful that needs to be covered, okay? okay. Now, wear it like a belt, right, okay? Do you know what a loincloth is? Yeah, it's not gonna, like it's a cloth that covers your loins. Okay, so, like Gollum, yes. Okay. Now, this is probably how Adam wore it, right? He got some fig leaves, he sewed them together, and that's how he wore it. It was a loincloth. Now, there... There's shameful things, unsightly things, and Jordan doesn't want to show it to the world, so he's hiding. He's hiding, right? But he's using the stuff that he created to hide it. Now, is this an adequate way of hiding? The answer is no. Why? Because when you move, I can still see stuff. I can see between the leaves. It's a little bit embarrassing, right? This is not adequate. Now, what I want, what I want to tell you is... For some reason, the human race to this day is still hiding. They're still hiding. There is some stuff in our lives. The worst, everyone has stuff, and we're ashamed about it. We're not really that honest with ourselves about it. We're not really that honest before God about what we've done, the things that we've said, the true things that we've thought. And you know what we do? We kind of hide from each other. If I put this on, people are probably going to think better of me. So I'm going to like hide away from people so I can put forth an image that's actually better than what's really there. We're still hiding. 
Now, I think the much better alternative is to let God cover you. And so what we have here is a robe of righteousness. Now, the only way that God uh, could cover us with this robe of righteousness is that there had to be a sacrifice. Jesus' son died so he can cover us with the righteousness of Christ. And when you have this righteousness, there's no shame. There's no guilt. Because he took all that shame and guilt with him on the cross. So you know what you can do? You can drop your loincloth. Would you drop it? You can be honest before God on what's really there. And appropriately with other people, you can be honest with them about what's really there. But you can come clean. You can stop hiding. Why? Because Jesus, through his death on the cross, has us covered. We can be real. What is wrong with the world? Everything, especially me. But you know what? I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the amazing sacrifice of your son, which covers us. So we don't have to hide. We can be honest before you and we can be real before other people. That we're all broken. We're all broken. We all have this underbelly of things that we've done that's, that's regrettable. We live in a broken world, but I just thank you so much for the cross. I thank you for the hope of Jesus. I thank you for all that he's done to reconcile people to each other to reconcile whole communities to each other, to reconcile the entire creation, to fix his white, amazing robe over us. I thank you so much, Jesus, for your amazing hope. And in your name I pray.